Scannerol, or the Self-Deceived Husband, by Moliere, translated by Henry Van Lawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scannerel, the Self-Deceived Husband, Dramatis Personae. Gorgibus, a citizen of Paris, read by Alan Mapstone. Lay Leo in love with Celia, read by Greg Giordano. Sganarelle, a citizen of Paris, and the self-deceived husband, read by Todd. Villebrequin, father of Valère, read by Larry Wilson. Gros René, servant to Lelio, read by Rémy. A relative of Sganarelle's wife, read by Jim Hedrick. Celia, daughter of Gorgibus, read by Jen Broda. Sganarelle's wife, read by Sonia. Celia's maid, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt. Stage directions, read by Jim Locke. Scene, a public place in Paris. Scene one, Gorgibus, Celia, Celia's maid. Celia coming out in tears, her father following her. Ah, uh, never expect my heart to consent to that. What do you mutter, you little impertinent girl? Do you suppose you can thwart my resolution? Have I not absolute power over you? And shall your youthful brain control my fatherly discretion by foolish arguments? Which of us two has most right to command the other? Which of us two, you and I, is, in your opinion, best able to judge what is advantageous for you? Zounds! Do not provoke me too much, or you may feel, and in a very short time too, what strength this armour mind still possesses. Your shortest way, you obstinate minx, would be to accept without any more ado the husband intended for you. But you say, I do not know what kind of temper he has, and I ought to think about it beforehand, if you will allow me. I know that he is heir to a large fortune. Ought I therefore to trouble my head about anything else? Can this man, who has twenty thousand golden charms in his pocket to be beloved by you, want any accomplishments? Come, come, let him be what he will. I promise you that with such a sum he is a very worthy gentleman. Alas! Alas, indeed! What is the meaning of that? A fine alas you have uttered just now. Look ye, if once you put me in a passion, you will have plenty of opportunities for shouting alas. This comes of that eagerness of yours to read novels day and night. Your head is so full of all kinds of nonsense about love that you talk of God much less than of Clélie. Throw into the fire all these mischievous books which are every day corrupting the minds of so many young people. Instead of such trumpery, read, as you ought to do, the quatrains of Pibrac and the learned memorandum books of Councillor Mathieu, a valuable work and full of fine sayings for you to learn by heart. The Guide for Sinners is also a good book. Such writings teach people in a short time how to spend their lives well. 
and if you had never read anything but such moral books you would have known better how to submit to my commands do you suppose dear father i can ever forget that unchangeable affection i owe to lelio i should be wrong to dispose of my hand against your will but you yourself engaged me to him even if you were engaged ever so much another man has made his appearance whose fortune annuls your engagement lelio is a pretty fellow but learn that there is nothing that does not give way to money that gold will make even the most ugly charming and that without it everything else is but wretchedness i believe you are not very fond of valere but though you do not like him as a lover you will like him as a husband the very name of husband endears a man more than is generally supposed and love is often a consequence of marriage but what a fool i am to stand arguing when i possess the absolute right to command a truce then i tell you to your impertinence let me have no more of your foolish complaints this evening valere intends to visit you and if you do not receive him well and look kindly upon him i shall but i will say no more on this subject scene two celia celia's maid what madam you refuse positively what so many other people would accept with all their heart you answer with tears a proposal for marriage and delay for a long time to say a yes so agreeable to hear alas why does someone not wish to marry me i should not need much entreaty and so far from thinking it any trouble to say yes once believe me i would very quickly say it a dozen times your brother's tutor was quite right when as we were talking about worldly affairs he said a woman is like the ivy which grows luxuriantly whilst it clings closely to the tree but never thrives if it be separated from it nothing can be truer my dear mistress and i miserable sinner have found it out <sighs> heaven rest the soul of my poor martin when he was alive my complexion was like a cherub's i was plump and comely my eyes sparkled brightly and i felt happy now i am doleful in those pleasant times which flew away like lightning i went to bed in the very depth of winter without kindling a fire in the room even airing the sheets appeared then to me ridiculous but now i shiver even in the dog days in short madam believe me there is nothing like having a husband at night by one's side or it only for the pleasure of hearing him say god bless you whenever one may happen to sneeze can you advise me to act so wickedly as to forsake lelio and take up with this ill-shaped fellow upon my word your lelio is a mere fool to stay away the very time he is wanted his long absence makes me very much suspect some change in his affection celia showing her the portrait of lelio oh do not distress me by such dire forebodings observe carefully the features of his face they swear to me an eternal affection after all i would not willingly believe them to tell a falsehood but that he is such as he is here limbed by art and that his affection for me remains unchanged oh, to be sure these features denote a deserving lover whom you are right to regard tenderly and yet i must ah oh, support me she lets fall the portrait of lelio madam what is the cause of heavens she swoons oh make haste help help scene three celia scannerel celia's maid what is the matter i am here my lady is dying what is that all you made such a noise i thought the world was at an end let us see however madam are you dead hmm she does not say one word i shall fetch somebody to carry her in be kind enough to hold her so long scene four celia scannerel scannerel's wife scannerel passing his hand over celia's bosom she is cold all over and i do not know what to say to it let me draw a little nearer and try whether she breathes or not hmm 
upon my word I cannot tell, but I perceive still some signs of life. Scannerell's wife, looking from the window. Oh, what do I see? My husband, holding in his arms. But I shall go down. He is false to me most certainly. I should be glad to catch him. She must be assisted very quickly. She would certainly be in the wrong to die. A journey to another world is very foolish, so long as a body is able to stay in this. He carries her in. Scene 5. Scannerell's wife alone. He has suddenly left this spot. His flight has disappointed my curiosity, but I doubt no longer that he is unfaithful to me. The little I have seen sufficiently proves it. Oh, I am no longer astonished that he returns my modest love with strange coldness. The ungrateful wretch reserves his caresses for others and starves me in order to feed their pleasures. <sighs> this is the common way of husbands. They become indifferent to what is lawful. At the beginning they do wonders and seem to be very much in love with us. But the wretches soon grow weary of our fondness and carry elsewhere what is due to us alone. Oh, how it vexes me that the law will not permit us to change our husbands as we do our linen. That would be very convenient. And troth, I know some women whom it would please as much as myself. Taking up the picture which Celia had let fall. But what a pretty thing has fortune sent me here. The enamel of it is most beautiful, the workmanship delightful. Let me open it. Scene six, Scannerell, Scannerell's wife, Scannerell thinking himself alone. They thought her dead, but it was nothing at all. She is already recovering and nearly well again. Oh, but I see my wife. Scannerell's wife thinking herself alone. Oh, heaven, it is a miniature, a fine picture of a handsome man. Scannerell aside and looking over his wife's shoulder. What is this she looks at so closely? This picture bodes my honor little good. A very ugly feeling of jealousy begins to creep over me. Scannerell's wife not seeing her husband. I never saw anything more beautiful in my life. The workmanship is even of greater value than the gold. Oh, how sweet it smells. Scannerell aside. The deuce. She kisses it. I am victimized. Scannerell's wife continues her monologue. I think it must be a charming thing to have such a fine-looking man for a sweetheart. Oh, if he should urge his suit very much... The temptation would be great. Alas, why have I not a handsome man like this for my husband, instead of my booby, my clodhopper? Scannerell snatching the portrait from her. What, hussy, have I caught you in the very act, slandering your honorable and darling husband? According to you, most worthy spouse and everything well considered, the husband is not as good as the wife. In Beelzebub's name, and may he fly away with you, what better match could you wish for? Is there any fault to be found with me? It seems that this shape, this air which everybody admires, this face, so fit to inspire love, for which a thousand fair ones sigh both night and day. In a word, my own delightful self, by no manner of means, pleases you. Moreover, to satisfy your ravenous appetite, you add to the husband the relish of a gallant. I see plainly the drift of your jocular remarks, though you do not clearly express yourself. You expect by these means... Try to impose upon others, not upon me, I pray you. The fact is evident. I have in my hands a convincing proof of the injury I complain of. <laughs> I am already too angry and do not wish you to make me more so by any fresh insult. Hark ye, 
do not imagine that you shall keep this pretty thing consider i am seriously considering whether i shall break your neck i wish i had but the original of this portrait in my powers as much as i have the copy why for nothing at all dear sweet object of my love i am very wrong to speak out my forehead ought to thank you for many favors received looking at the portrait of lelio there he is your darling the pretty bedfellow the wicked incentive of your secret flame the merry blade with whom with whom go on with whom i say i am almost bursting with vexation what does the drunken sot mean by all this you know but too well mrs impudence no one will call me any longer scanorelle but every one will give me the title of signor conutus my honour is gone but to reward you who took it from me i shall at the very least break you an arm or a couple of ribs how dare you talk to me thus how dare you play me these devilish pranks what devilish pranks say what you mean oh, it is not worth complaining of a stag's top-knot on my head is indeed a very pretty ornament for everybody to come and look at <laughs> after you have insulted your wife so grossly as to excite her thirst for vengeance you stupidly imagine you can prevent the effects of it by pretending to be angry <laughs> such insolence was never before known on the like occasion the offender is the person who begins the quarrel oh, what a shameless creature to see the confident behavior of this woman would not any one suppose her to be very virtuous away go about your business wheedle your mistresses tell them you love them caress them even but give me back my picture and do not make a jest of me she snatches the picture from him and runs away so you think to escape me hm. but i shall get hold of it again in spite of you scene seven lelio gros rene here we are at last but sir if i might be so bold i should like you to tell me one thing well speak are you possessed by some devil or other that you do not sink under such fatigues as these for eight whole days we have been riding long stages and have not been sparing of whip and spur to urge on confounded screws whose cursed trot shook us so very much that, for my part, I feel as if every limp was out of joint, without mentioning a worse mishap, which troubles me very much in a place I will not mention. And yet, no sooner are you at your journey's end than you go out well and hearty without taking rest or eating the least morsel. My haste may well be excused for I am greatly alarmed about the report of Celia's marriage. You know I adore her, and, before everything, I wish to hear if there is any truth in this ominous rumor. Aye, sir, but a good meal would be of great use to you to discover the truth or falsehood of this report. Doubtless you would become thereby much stronger to withstand the strokes of fate, I judge by my own self, for, when I am fasting, the smallest disappointment gets hold of me and pulls me down. But when I have eaten sufficiently, my soul can resist anything, and the greatest misfortunes cannot depress it. Believe me, stuff yourself well, and do not be too cautious. To fortify you under whatever misfortune may do, and in order to prevent sorrow from entering your heart, let it float in plenty of wine. I cannot eat. Grow, René, aside. I can eat very well indeed. If it is not true, may I be struck dead. Aloud. For all that, your dinner shall be ready presently. Hold your tongue, I command you. How barbarous is that order! I am not hungry, but uneasy. And I am hungry and uneasy as well. 
to see that a foolish love affair engrosses all your thoughts. Let me but get some information about my heart's delight, and without troubling me more, go and take your meal if you like. I never say nay when a master commands. Scene 8, Lilio, alone. No, no, my mind is tormented by too many terrors. The father has promised me Celia's hand, and she has given me such proofs of her love that I need not despair. Scene 9, Scannerell, Lelio. Scannerell not seeing Lelio and holding the portrait in his hand. I have got it. I can now at my leisure look at the countenance of the rascal who causes my dishonor. Hmm. I do not know him at all. Lelio aside. Heavens, what do I see? If that be my picture, what then must I believe? Scannerell not seeing Lelio. Ah, poor Scannerell. Your reputation is doomed, and to what a sad fate. Must... Perceiving that Lelio observes him, he goes to the other side of the stage. Lelio aside. This pledge of my love cannot have left the fair hands to which I gave it, without startling my faith in her. Scannerell aside. People will make fun of me henceforth by holding up their two fingers. Songs will be made about me, and every time they will fling in my teeth that scandalous affront which a wicked wife has printed upon my forehead. Lelio aside. Do I deceive myself? Scannerell aside. Ah, oh, Jade, were you impudent enough to cockle me in the flower of my age? The wife, too, of a husband who may be reckoned handsome, and must be a monkey, a cursed, addle-pated fellow. Lelio aside, looking still at the portrait in Scannerell's hand. I am not mistaken. It is my very picture. Scannerell turning his back towards him. This man seems very inquisitive. Lelio aside. I am very much surprised. What would he be at? Lelio aside. I will speak to him. Aloud. May I? Scannerell goes farther off. I say, let me have one word with you. Scannerell aside and moving still farther. What does he wish to tell me now? Will you inform me by what accident that picture came into your hands? Scannerell aside. What does he wish to know? But I am thinking... Looking at Lelio and at the portrait in his hand. Ah, oh, upon my word, I know the cause of his anxiety. I no longer wonder at his surprise. This is my man, or rather, my wife's man. Pray, relieve my distracted mind, and tell me how you came by. Thank heaven, I know what disturbs you. This portrait, which causes you some uneasiness, is your very likeness, and was found in the hands of a certain acquaintance of yours. The soft endearments which have passed between that lady and you are no secret to me. I cannot tell whether I have the honor to be known by your gallant lordship in this piece of gallantry, but henceforth be kind enough to break off an intrigue which a husband may not approve of, and consider that the holy bonds of wedlock... What do you say? She from whom you receive this pledge? Is my wife, and I am her husband. Her husband? Yes, her husband, I tell you. Though married, I am far from merry. You, sir, know the reason of it. This very moment I am going to inform her relatives about this affair. Scene 10. Lelio alone. Alas, what have I heard? The report then was true, that her husband was the ugliest of all his sex. Even if your faithless lips had never sworn me more than a thousand times eternal love, the disgust you should have felt at such a base 
and shameful choice might have sufficiently secured me against the loss of your affection. But this great insult, and the fatigues of a pretty long journey, produce all at once such a violent effect upon me, that I feel faint, and can hardly bear up under it. Scene 11. Lelio, Scannerell's wife. In spite of me, my wretch! Seeing Lelio. Good lack! What ails you? I perceive, sir, you are ready to faint away. It is an illness that has attacked me quite suddenly. I am afraid you shall faint. Step in here and stay until you are better. For a moment or two I will accept of your kindness. Scene 12. Scannerell, a relative of Scannerell's wife. I commend a husband's anxiety in such a case, but you take fright a little too hastily. All that you have told me against her, kinsman, does not prove her guilty. It is a delicate subject, and no one should ever be accused of such a crime unless it can be fully proved. That is to say, unless you see it. Too much haste leads us to commit mistakes. Who can tell how this picture came into her hands, and, after all, whether she knows the man? Seek a little more information, and if it proves to be as you suspect, I shall be one of the first to punish her offense. Scene 13, Scannerell, alone. Nothing could be said fairer. It is really the best way to proceed cautiously. Perhaps I have dreamt of horns without any cause, and the perspiration has covered my brow rather prematurely. My dishonor is not at all proved by that portrait which frightened me so much. Let me endeavor, then, by care. Scene 14, Scannerell. Scannerell's wife standing at the door of her house with Lelio. Scannerell, aside, seeing them. Ha! What do I see? Zunes! There can be no more question about the portrait, for upon my word... Here stands the very man, in propria persona. You hurry away too fast, sir. If you leave us so quickly, you may perhaps have a return of your illness. No, no. I thank you heartily for the kind assistance you have rendered me. Scannerell aside. That deceitful woman is to the last polite to him. Scannerell's wife goes into the house again. Scene 15, Scannerell, Lelio. He has seen me. Let us hear what he can say to me. Lelio aside. Oh, my soul is moved. This sight inspires me with. But I ought to blame this unjust resentment and only ascribe my sufferings to my merciless fate. Yet I cannot help envying the success that has crowned his passion approaching scannerell oh too happy mortal in having so beautiful a wife scene sixteen scannerell celia at her window seeing lelio go away scannerell alone this confession is pretty plain his extraordinary speech surprises me as much as if horns had grown upon my head looking at the side where Lilio went off. Go your way. You have not acted at all like an honorable man. Celia aside, entering. Who can that be? Just now I saw Lelio. Why does he conceal his return from me? Scannerell without seeing Celia. Oh, too happy mortal at having so beautiful a wife. Say, rather, unhappy mortal in having such a disgraceful spouse, through whose guilty passion, it is now but too clear I have been cuckled without any feeling of compassion. Yet I allow him to go away after such a discovery, and stand with my arms folded like a regular silly billy. I ought at least to have knocked his hat off, thrown stones at him, or mud on his cloak. To satisfy my wrath, I should rouse the whole neighborhood, and cry, Stop! Thief of my honor! Celia to Scannerell. 
Pray, sir, how came you to know this gentleman who went away just now and spoke to you? Alas, madam, it is not I who am acquainted with him. It is my wife. What emotion thus disturbs your mind? Do not blame me. I have sufficient cause for my sorrow. Permit me to breathe plenty of sighs. What can be the reason of this uncommon grief? If I am sad, it is not for a trifle. I challenge other people not to grieve if they found themselves in my condition. You see in me the model of unhappy husbands. Poor Scannerell's honor is taken from him, but the loss of my honor would be small. They deprive me of my reputation also. How do they do that? That fop has taken the liberty to cuckold me, saving your presence, madam. And this very day my own eyes have been witness to a private interview between him and my wife. What? He who just now... Aye, aye, it is he who brings disgrace upon me. He is in love with my wife, and my wife is in love with him. Ah, I find I was right when I thought his returning secretly only concealed some base design. I trembled the minute I saw him, from a sad foreboding of what would happen. You espouse my cause with too much kindness, but everybody is not so charitably disposed. For many, who have already heard of my sufferings, so far from taking my part, only laugh at me. Can anything be more base than this vile deed? Or can a punishment be discovered such as he deserves? Does he think he is worthy to live after polluting himself with such treachery? Oh, heaven, is it possible? It is but too true. Oh, traitor, villain, deceitful, faithless wretch! What a kind-hearted creature! No, no, hell has not tortures enough to punish you sufficiently for your guilt. How well she talks. Thus to abuse both innocence and goodness. Ah. A heart which never did the slightest action, deserving of being treated with such insult and contempt. That's true. Who far from? But it is too much, nor can this heart endure the thought of it without feeling on the rack. My dear lady, do not distress yourself so much. It pierces my very soul to see you grieve so at my misfortune. Do not deceive yourself so far as to fancy that I shall sit down and do nothing but lament. No, my heart knows how to act in order to be avenged. Nothing can divert me from it. I go to prepare everything. Scene 17, Scannerell Alone May heaven keep her forever out of harm's way. How kind of her to wish to avenge me. Her anger at my dishonor plainly teaches me how to act. Nobody should bear such affronts as these tamely, unless he be a fool. Let us therefore hasten to hunt out this rascal who has insulted me, and let me prove my courage by avenging my dishonor. I will teach you, you rogue, to laugh at my expense, and to cuckold people without showing them any respect. After going three or four steps, he comes back again. But gently, if you please. This man looks as if he were very hot-headed and passionate. He may, perhaps, heaping one insult upon another, ornament my back as well as he has done my brow. Hmm, I detest from the bottom of my heart, these fiery tempers, and vastly prefer peaceable people. I do not care to beat for fear of being beaten. A gentle disposition was always my predominant virtue. But my honor tells me that it is absolutely necessary I should avenge such an outrage as this. Let honor say whatever it likes, the deuce take him who listens. Suppose now I should play the hero and receive from my pains an ugly thrust with a piece of cold steel quite through my stomach. When the news of my death spreads through the whole town, tell me then, my honor, shall you be the better of it? This grave is too melancholy an abode, and too unwholesome for people who are afraid of the colic. As for me, I find, all things considered that it is, after all, Better to be a cuckold than to be dead. 
What harm is there in it? Does it make a man's legs crooked? Does it spoil his shape? The plague take him who first invented being grieved about such a delusion, linking the honor of the wisest person to anything a fickle woman may do. Since every person is rightly held responsible for his own crimes, how can our honor, in this case, be considered criminal? We are blamed for the actions of other people. If our wives have an intrigue with any man, without our knowledge, all the mischief must fall upon our backs. They commit the crime, and we are reckoned guilty. It is a villainous abuse and indeed government should remedy such injustice. Have we not enough of other accidents that happen to us whether we like them or not? Do not quarrels, lawsuits, hunger, thirst, and sickness sufficiently disturb the even tenor of our lives? And yet we must stupidly get it into our heads to grieve about something which has no foundation. Let us laugh at it, despise such idle fears, and be above sighs and tears. If my wife has done amiss, let her cry as much as she likes. But why should I weep when I have done no wrong? After all, I am not the only one of my fraternity, and that should console me a little. Many people of rank see their wives cajoled and do not say a word about it. Why should I then try to pick a quarrel for an affront which is but a mere trifle? They will call me a fool for not avenging myself, but I should be a much greater fool to rush on my own destruction. Putting his hand upon his stomach. Mm. I feel, however, my bile is stirred up here. It almost persuades me to do some manly action. Ah, anger gets the better of me. It is rather too much of a good thing to be a coward, too. I am resolved to be revenged upon the thief of my honor. Full of the passion which excites my ardor, and in order to make a beginning, I shall go and tell everywhere that he lies with my wife. Scene 18, Gorgibus, Celia, Celia's maid. Yes, I will yield willingly to don't just a law, father. You can freely dispose of my heart and my hand, I will sign the marriage contract whenever you please, for I am now determined to perform my duty. I can command my own inclinations, and shall do whatever you order me. How she pleases me by talking in this manner! Upon my word! I am so delighted that I would immediately cut a caper or two, were people not looking on who would laugh at it. Come hither, I say, and let me embrace you. There's no harm in that. A father may kiss his daughter whenever he likes, without giving any occasion for scandal. Well, the satisfaction of seeing you so obedient has made me twenty years younger. Scene 19, Celia, Celia's maid. This change surprises me. When you come to know why I act thus, you will esteem me for it. Perhaps so. Know then that Lelio has wounded my heart by his treacherous behavior, and has been in this neighborhood without... Here he comes! Scene 20, Lelio, Celia, Celia's maid. Before I take my leave of you forever... I will at least here tell you that. What? Are you insolent enough to speak to me again? I own my insolence is great, and yet your choice is such I should not be greatly to blame if I upbraided you. Live, live contented, and laugh when you think of me, as well as your worthy husband, of whom you have reason to be proud. Yes, traitor. I will live so, and I trust most earnestly that the thought of my happiness may disturb you. Why this outbreak of passion? You pretend to be surprised, and ask what crimes you have committed. Scene 21, Celia, Lelio, Scannerel, armed, Kappa, P.A., Celia's maid. I wage war 
a war of extermination against this robber of my honor, who without mercy has sullied my fair name. Celia to Lilio, pointing to Scannerell. Look on this man, and then you will require no further answer. Ah, I see. A mere glance at him is sufficient to abash you. It ought rather to make you blush. My wrath is now disposed to vent itself upon someone. My courage is at its height. If I meet him, there will be bloodshed. Yes, I have sworn to kill him. Nothing can keep me from doing so. Wherever I see him, I will dispatch him. Drawing his sword halfway and approaching Lelio. Right through the middle of his heart I shall thrust. Lelio turning round. Against whom do you bear such a grudge? Against no one. Why are you thus in armor? It is a dress I put on to keep the rain off. Aside. Ah, what a satisfaction it would be for me to kill him. Let us pluck up courage to do it. Lelio turning round again. Hey. I did not speak. Aside, boxing his own ears and thumping himself to raise his courage. Oh, I am enraged at my own cowardice. Chicken-hearted poltroon. What you have seen ought to satisfy you, but it appears to offend you. Yes, through him I know you are guilty of the greatest faithlessness that ever wronged a faithful lover's heart, and for which no excuse can be found. Scannerell aside. Why have I not a little more courage? Ah, traitor, speak not to me in so unmanly and insolent a manner. Scannerell aside. You see, Scannerell, she takes up your quarrel. Courage, my lad. Be a trifle vigorous. Now, be bold. Try to make one noble effort and kill him whilst his back is turned. Lelio, who has moved accidentally a few steps back, meets Scannerell, who was drawing near to kill him. The latter is frightened and retreats. Since my words kindle your wrath, madam, I ought to show my satisfaction with what your heart approves, and here commend the lovely choice you have made. Yes, yes, my choice is such as cannot be blamed. You do well to defend it. No doubt she does well to defend my rights, but what you have done, sir, is not according to the laws. I have reason to complain. Were I less discreet, much blood would be shed. Of what do you complain, and why this? Do not say a word more. You know too well where the shoe pinches me. But conscience and a care for your own soul should remind you that my wife is my wife and that to make her yours under my very nose is not acting like a good Christian. Such a suspicion is mean and ridiculous. Harbor no scruples on that point. I know she belongs to you. I am very far from being in love with— Oh, traitor! How well you dissemble! What? Do you imagine I foster a thought which need disturb his mind? Would you slander me? by accusing me of such a cowardly action? Speak! Speak to himself! He can enlighten you! Scannerell to Celia. No, no, you can argue much better than I can, and have treated the matter in the right way. Scene 22, Celia, Lelio, Scannerell, Scannerell's wife, Celia's maid. Scannerell's wife to Celia. I am not inclined, madam, to show that I am over-jealous, but I am no fool and can see what is going on. There are certain amours which appear very strange. You should be better employed than in seducing a heart which ought to be mine alone. This declaration of her love is plain enough. Scannerell to his wife. Who sent for you, baggage? You come and scold her because she takes my part, whilst you are afraid of losing your gallant. Do not suppose anybody has a mind to him. Turning towards Lelio. You see whether I have told a falsehood, and I am very glad of it. 
What can be the meaning of this? Upon my word, I do not know when this entanglement will be unraveled. I have tried for a pretty long time to comprehend it, but the more I hear, the less I understand. Really, I think I must interfere at last. Placing herself between Lelio and Celia. Answer me one after another, and... To Lelio. Allow me to ask, what do you accuse this lady of? That she broke her word and forsook me for another. As soon as I heard she was going to be married, I hastened hither, carried away by an irrepressible love, and not believing I could be forgotten, but discovered, when I arrived here, that she was married. Married? To whom? Lelio, pointing to Scannerell. To him. How, to him? Yes, to him. Who told you so? Himself, this very day. Made to Scannerell. Is this true? I? I told him I was married to my own wife. Just now, whilst you looked at my picture, you seemed greatly moved. True, here it is. Lelio to Scannerell. You also told me that she, from whose hands you had received this pledge of her love, was joined to you in the bonds of wedlock. No doubt. Pointing to his wife. For I snatched it from her, and should not have discovered her wickedness had I not done so. What do you mean by your groundless complaint? I found this portrait at my feet by accident. After you had stormed without telling me the cause of your rage, I saw this gentleman, pointing to Lelio, nearly fainting, asked him to come in, but did not even then discover that he was the original of the picture. I was the cause of the portrait being lost. I let it fall when swooning, and when you, to Scannerell, kindly carried me into the house. Hmm. You see that without my help you had still been at a loss, and that you had some need of Hellbore. Scannerell aside. Shall we believe all this? I have been very much frightened from my brow. I have not quite recovered from my fear. However agreeable credulity may be, I am loath to be deceived. Scannerell to his wife. Well, let us mutually suppose ourselves to be people of honor. I risk more on my side than you do on yours. Accept, therefore, without much ado, what I propose. Be it so. But woe be to you if I discover anything. Celia to Lelio, after whispering together. Ye heavens, if it be so, what have I done? I ought to fear the consequences of my own anger. Thinking you false and wishing to be avenged, I, in an unhappy moment, complied with my father's wishes, and but a minute since engaged myself to marry a man whose hand, until then, I always had refused. I have made a promise to my father, and what grieves me most is, but I see him coming. He shall keep his word with me. Scene 23. Gorgobus, Celia, Lelio, Scannerell, Scannerell's wife, Celia's maid. Sir, you see I have returned to this town, inflamed with the same ardor, and now I suppose you will keep your promise, which made me hope to marry Celia, and thus reward my intense love. Sir, whom I see return to this town, inflamed with the same ardor, and who now supposes I will keep my promise, which made you hope to marry Celia, and thus reward your intense love, I am your lordship's very humble servant. What, sir, is it thus you frustrate my expectations? I, sir, it is thus I do my duty, and my daughter obeys me too. My duty compels me, father, to make good your promise to him. Is this obeying my commands as a daughter ought to do? Just now you were very kindly disposed towards Valere, but you change quickly. I see his father approaching, 
who certainly comes to arrange about the marriage. Scene 24. Villa Brocan, Gorgibus, Celia Lilio, Scannerel, Scannerel's wife, Celia's maid. Oh, what brings you hither, Monsieur Villebrequin? An important secret, which I only discovered this morning, and which completely prevents me from keeping the engagement I made with you. My son, whom your daughter was going to espouse, has deceived everybody, and been secretly married these four months past to Lise. Her friends, her fortune, and her family connections make it impossible for me to break off this alliance, and hence I come to you. Pray say no more. If Valère has married someone else without your permission, I cannot disguise from you that I myself long ago promised my daughter Celia to Lelio endowed with every virtue, and that his return to-day prevents me from choosing any other husband for her. Such a choice pleases me very much. This honest intention will crown my days with eternal bliss. Let us go and fix the day for the wedding. Scannerel alone. <sighs> Was there ever a man who had more cause to think himself victimized? You perceive that in such matters the strongest probability may create in the mind a wrong belief. Therefore, remember never to believe anything, even if you should see everything. End of Scannerel or the Self-Deceived Husband by Moliere Translated by Henry Van Lawn.